Christian that we need to be extraordinary Christians, extraordinary church. And sometimes what that leaves us feeling like is that we actually don't measure up to whatever the presentation is. And so as we think about ordinary and we think about being Christian in ordinary time, I actually believe that how we understand who we are in the everyday uh, existence that we live helps us um, to interpret and understand the extraordinary things that we can experience with God and also helps us to go the long distance run and to get rid of comparison or think that we all need to be roided up super Christians all the time um, and to actually get to a more real uh, discipleship that Jesus is teaching his disciples how to live and how the church has bared witness over seasons of how to live this faith for the long haul. And I think one of the big things uh, that will help us to live out ordinary time is just a good recognition of our Christian identity. John Calvin, who wrote and did so much as a reformer to influence our church here as a Presbyterian church, wrote this. He said, without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Our wisdom insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and ourselves. Meaning that if you know yourselves, if yourself well enough, then you will meet God in that. And if you know God and encounter God, then you will begin to understand yourself in more deepful, meaningful ways. And I believe our text this morning is a guide for us into understanding important themes uh, for Christian identity. And so uh, I pray that as we, as we speak about identity, uh, a very popular conversation within our culture, that you would uh, be able to hear and see the kingdom in our midst as we read these words and understand the implications of Christ's example for our church and for our discipleship. With that, will you pray with me and then we'll read the text together. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you for this time that we get to have together. Uh, we don't take it for granted, Lord. We can remember a season where we didn't get to be together. Um, we can think of the people in our midst um, through illness or difficulty uh, that couldn't make it here for a season um, and yet are able to be here again. We also think of those now who are watching online um, who are unable to make it here and yet are with us in spirit. And so uh, we just take a moment now to acknowledge the ways in which you have brought us together, even though we are from different backgrounds and we have different stories um, that you have drawn us into the space to hear from you. And so we pray that you would do the work that only you could do, that your spirit would be present here in our midst to guide and to instruct. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Galatians chapter 3. And we're going to be starting at verse 23 this morning. 
It says this. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. There is a key phrase in here that I've mentioned before, but it is important for unlocking uh, the meaning of this text and so much of what Paul is trying to pass on to the New Testament church. The key phrase is in Christ, that we are all one in Christ Jesus. This phrase is used over a hundred times in the letters of Paul. And I'm just going to give you one implication of what this means, and then I'm going to justify the claim that I'm giving up front here. So I want you to hear this claim, that in Christ Jesus is a way that Paul is speaking about Jesus' salvation, and what it does is help Christian disciples to reinterpret their social order in light of his example. That the social world and how we understand the social world is totally different after we understand our baptism, that we are clothed in Christ, and Jesus' example and how he lived in the world. This should be something if we want to follow Jesus, we should be curious about, right? What Ways did Jesus encounter his social world, or theologians would call, what is Jesus' sociology? What is uh, the ways in which he spent time uh, with the people, and how did he do it? How did he engage his relationships in his social world? Well, Paul, in this text, interpreting Christ's example, lays out two political examples two religious examples, and two biological examples of people in his world. And these were important examples uh, that he was picking. He was being very intentional in naming these groups. These groups would have defined the social world of Galatia, the place he's writing to, this cluster of churches that he's trying to teach how to navigate some difficult stuff. And so he points out these big social groups and identities, and he, uh, he names how uh, these are the people that normally wouldn't talk to each other, share culture together, and there are rules and order about who was allowed to do what, and who you worked with, and how you navigate the world, and all of those things would be defined. Now, obviously, it's not hard for us to draw parallels. This is the way humans think and act within the world, right? So if Paul is naming dominant uh, and understood social categories of his time, 
in noticeable and predictable ways, then we can perk up and we can say, okay, how does being in Christ teach us to navigate these identities? And so Paul is saying, if you want to be a good Jew, if you want to be a good Greek, a good man, a good woman, a good slave, a good free person, uh, then re-examine it in light of Christ's example. Think of it again in light of who Jesus is and the implications of who Jesus is. The examples of Jesus uh, navigating his social world are not hard to find, are they? In fact, one of the great intentions of the gospel writers is to show us exactly how unique Jesus was when it came to dealing with his social world. And frankly, that is why we're still here today. Because his example is one that takes predictable categories and totally blurs the lines. And he steps out of what was prescriptive for him in his world. And he expands the understanding of what God is up to in the world. And who God is with. And what God cares about when it comes to dealing, especially with human relationships. And the value of each and every single person, right? It would have been easy for Jesus to stay in what was prescribed for him as a good Jew, right? If he would have followed all the rules laid out for him, I'm sure he would have won mayor of Nazareth. Um, he could have been a good temple leader, right? Um, and, and this is the language, let's, let's not... Let's not just say this was an easy thing for people to understand in Jesus' time, right? Because he came from this context, this Jewish context. And, and, and Paul here even reaching back probably into his understanding of the Jewish context does not condemn the law. He's not saying that the law is wrong. He's saying the law served a purpose, that it was actually a guardian a protective uh, force for the Jewish people. And we think back to the Jewish people's history, this makes a ton of sense, right? This people that lived in exile, in a land of chaos where they didn't know how to order themselves or worship God. And so Moses receives the Ten Commandments as a way to create culture, a way for a people to understand how they be with God in covenant together. And this was so valuable to the Jewish people that, you know, they, they lost their temple, they lost their land, they, they fell into sin, and then they were redeemed again and repaired and restored. And through it all, the thing that preserved them and gave them culture and life and the great gift that they still give to us to this day is they brought forward this law um, as a guardian. But like any good thing, over time, a good thing needs to give way to a better thing. Um, and, and, and a good thing can also become limiting um, as history changes, as time changes. And so we need to, as any good pastor would, as Paul is doing in this text, look at our new world and our new society and think on Jesus' example 
And then how does that help us navigate being church now? So what were Jesus as social engagements? Who did he hang out with and what did that mean? Well, you open the pages of Mark and you see Jesus hanging out with social outcasts and literal lepers, the demon-possessed, tax collectors, religious zealots, poor fishermen, the highly educated but totally confused, the politically powerful but soulfully bankrupt, and there he is with all of them, blurring the lines, stepping out of all of this social convention, and it drew a lot of heat and a lot of pressure on him, and he ended up being uh, a bad candidate for mayor of Nazareth. Actually rejected by his own people. So maybe we pause for a, a second and we just think about superficial categories, man-made categories. What do they mean in light of our social world and our mission in the world, in light of who Jesus is? Um, this last week, we had a memorial, uh, actually it was yesterday, for Kalita Schultz. And uh, Kalita sang in the choir for many, many years. In fact, she was here since 1960. Just an amazing person in the life of our church. And served in many different capacities. And one of the things that she did, because I think she... Uh, was at many memorials is that she took the time to write down exactly what she wanted. In fact, she wrote down too many things. Uh, we couldn't put it all in there, but James actually did a, a beautiful job of playing like this extremely long prelude to try and get all of the hymns that she requested into the memorial. But uh, one of the songs that she requested from her hymnal is one that I just found to be really powerful. It's its message is, I think, a clarifying statement about the identity of a Christian believer. Uh, and uh, it's uh, song number 656 in the hymnal. And here are the words of the hymn. Something beautiful, something good. All my confusion he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife but he made something beautiful out of my life. Um, these words are meaningful as a powerful witness of identity. I didn't see anything in these words that said I deserved what I got from Jesus. Everything here says that he took my confusion, my brokenness, my strife, my languishing, my difficulty, and out of my just honest surrender to Jesus, then somehow through his help, something beautiful is made out of it. That is such powerful good news about who we are, about who God is, and about who we are. In fact, I I was working on this as I uh, was doing the devotional for our homeless group. I've shared this in a few places now. And as I simply read this, these two lines to our homeless population in Redondo Beach, I read it poorly 
and with no emphasis. And they started applauding spontaneously. Now, I haven't got an, a, a spontaneous applause for anything I came up with yet. <laughs> but there's something about what these words implicate for every person. And we might think about those in our midst or those in our society where they have not felt this truth from other humans, where they have not understood exactly uh, what it feels like from other people to be told that they are beautiful, that God himself would say by no effort other than a surrendered spirit to him, that you can be beautiful. You see, that just deepens our understanding of who we're dealing with in the room, right? And what it means to look at each other and think about uh, who we spend our time with and who matters and who doesn't matter and what the culture says matters. And we can just simply say, in light of what Paul is teaching here to the church, how valuable it would be if we could look at each other and see each other's baptism and what that means. We could see each other clothed in Christ and what that means. We could see each other as in Christ and what that would mean for why it matters that we get together and why it matters that we are human walking this earth together and just simply get our priorities straight. What a gift it is um, that the law gives way to this identity, that what preserved the Jewish people that gave us such wonderful culture to this day, now we see in Christ, enfleshed and enacted, and the Word made flesh. And this example now of the law, this living Word, is present and working in us to preserve us, to ground us, to give us the identity that will last the test of time. And so my prayer this morning is for me and for the church that on this Father's Day, maybe we might even say that we could understand again the Father's heart. Understand what a loving Father can do. And we saw at the end here that the inheritance of the Jewish people is now being offered to all Christian believers. That this people of God, this identity of a people of God is extended to you and me today. And the gifts of it are the inheritance of a kingdom, of an eternal kingdom that says to us, you're going to be doing this for a really long time. You're going to be in God's love for a really long time. 
So what does that mean for how we treat each other in the in-between, in the everyday ordinary? What does that mean for how we walk into work and see each other? What does that mean for when we look in each other's eyes or in the mirror and really think, who am I and who are they? What matters most? And maybe that perspective, like it did for the church in Galatia, can just move us in what the psalmist calls a more spacious place. Go from two big words here, from being myopic, meaning nearsighted, short-sighted, to capacious, just expanded. That was what was happening in the church in Galatia. They were trying to expand and they were getting in fights. But that was the growing pains of a church that we see now is millions and millions and millions of people. And so my invitation to you today, would you step into that big space with a big heart? And that would be a mirror of the Father's heart. And that extension, that that big open space, that big open loving space would heal and restore and repair our relationships that in many ways have been barriers of hostility. One last verse I want to leave with you um, from Paul as well. This is from Ephesians 2. He said this, But now in Christ Jesus you were once far away, but you have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made two one and has torn down the dividing wall of hostility. Praise be to Jesus that he's torn down every wall that humans have put up to divide us. And he's made a way through his death and resurrection, through his forgiveness to reconcile us to him and to one another. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we pray your uh, clothes upon us. Lord, our ability for our ability to see one another clothed in you and beautiful. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help us to lay down labels and categories and comparisons for the sake of our humility in admitting that we are not perfect, but in you we have all that we need. And that truth supersedes all other labeling and allows for us to come together. So help us, Lord, to be one in you as you prayed for your people while you are still here on this earth. We thank you, Lord, that you have made it possible for us to be living in you. And in you and through you, may we do all things. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.